Uh, we are glad you guys are here and glad to have you a part of this. And as we transition out of the season and uh, into what is uh, kind of our normal rhythm of 21 days of prayer uh, here at Mosaic, those of you that have been around for years, uh, Kyle and I were talking about it. I, I think we've done this as long as I've been around and been a part of it. Um, and so there are some things that we're going to do. I'm not going to go through those quite yet, Lucas, if you want to wait, but you can keep it up there too. It doesn't matter because I don't have other slides. Um, but there are uh, some ways that we're going to connect and that some ways that we're going to do some stuff this year and there, as we have. And this has kind of been our rhythm and this has been the practice of Mosaic for several years now is to start the year with this 21 days of prayer. It used to be prayer and fasting and then we kind of moved fasting to the Lenten season uh, as not to ask you guys to, you know, end up with like nine straight weeks uh, almost of fasting and giving stuff up and to kind of emphasize these different disciplines. And, and days of prayer and fasting out of this place of uh, honestly kind of looking at and examining and going like there's these New Year's resolutions that everybody's doing. Like let's make prayer a part of that. And there's some uh, debunked science that 21 days formed a habit. And any of you that have done anything longer than 21 days know that a habit does not make in 21 days. You can do things for 30 days. And uh, if you've ever done a whole 30, and I'm like straight back to the sugar after 30 days. So like it's, it's, it just doesn't work that way. So uh, we had slowly over time, we've shifted more out of this language, not of like new year, new you, let's all pray and like seek the Lord uh, and like revolutionize everything. But we still believe that uh, setting a time apart for prayer and, and a concentrated season as a people that it matters because prayer matters. And we still think that the Lord wants to speak to us and lead us and give us vision and give us hope and give us a, a, an idea of what the future might hold for us and things to pursue that are from the Lord. And so then over time, we've sort of morphed into 21 days of prayer, kind of honestly being more about 21 days of like spiritual discipline and practices. Now the last four or five years, these, the series that we follow has been more about the spiritual practices that we as believers think and that we as the Mosaic and a church think that it matters for us to sort of allow our life to be shaped and formed. I love the phrasing of practice and not just because I'm an Allen Iverson fan and I like to talk about practice but because I think that it matters that we do this thing. Because the thing that we have to hold in front of us, the thing that we have to remember and, and lean into is not that these are the things themselves. Even prayer, as vitally important as it is, prayer is not the thing itself. It's what prayer does. The goal, the idea, we talked about this a year ago when we did our, uh, our time here in the 21 days. That it's theosis. It's, it's union with God. It's this ability to recognize and to see God moving and working around you and to give yourself to it. To be shaped and formed by it and like it. And, and we try to abandon this idea and this phrase that practice makes perfect because we recognize that that's never going to be true. But practice makes improvements. Practice establishes the way you move. Practice forces you to do things without thinking or without kind of even having to consciously be aware of it. You just do it if you've done it enough times. And we want to do this in these different ways. And so we started implementing these spiritual practices as this tangential kind of prayer adjacent, if you will, during 21 days of prayer. And we want to embrace that. And, and that's where we're going this season, is this idea of we want to introduce the spiritual practice and idea of hospitality. And that may be a shock to some of you that this is considered a spiritual practice. 
It may be weird to you. You may think to yourself, like, I'm not Joanna Gaines, and nor do I care to be her, you know, like, whatever it might be. You may think, I don't have a house, I don't have a table, I don't have a way to be hospitable. What does this mean? But the inspiration and the idea for, this, for us in this series and for the church at large is that we see hospitality kind of interwoven and in the very fabric of who it means to be the people of God, to be a church. Because in the very fabric and DNA of creation is hospitality from God himself. And we think that hospitality, and especially in this season that we've just gone through with grief and shame and thinking about Exodus and this wandering people and then moving into what it means to like be a people that lives into this and being an Advent people and all of this, that like a foundational idea of pushing into this practice and embracing it is this idea that hospitality is an antidote to shame. That, that it is a, a war against shame. That as you open up and you find yourself into hospitable places, because the reality of it is, is that shame requires someone to come and find you. All the way back to the garden. God has to come and find Adam and Eve and create space for them in a space that he's already created. And we believe that the same thing has to happen here. That as we choose to follow Jesus, or maybe not choose, as, as we just kind of are in this journey of life, someone somewhere created space for you that made you feel seen, that made you feel welcome, that made you feel like honored, that allowed you to set things that you use to cover yourself up. And it is in those moments that true growth, true development, true maturity can begin to happen. And so we think that the church should practice this. And we're not the only ones. There's a whole like, uh, you know, cottage industry of hospitality that has uh, formed and not just in like, I mean, obviously there's a corporate industry of it that has formed in, in society, but in the church, this idea, there's books, there's all of this stuff that has come to like the surface of saying like the church has to be hospitable. But this is where it happens. And so we want to explore that and to just kind of trade where we're going to go over the next four Sundays is we're going to talk about this kind of at a macro level, as I said, that we believe is in the fabric of creation and who God is, that God first is hospitable, how that becomes ingrained into being the people of God in the Old Testament and how that transitions to the New Testament, how then we are called to be hospitable ourselves, and then how, like, what, what do we do with that? What does it look like? Because we think that hospitality is at the root of mission and witness social justice and it's the root of understanding it's at the root of allowing others to come and to experience peace joy these things we talk about the fruit of the spirit and when a society and a culture around us we articulate all the time is it pushing against it we live in hostility we live where everything is finite we live where we think that everything is scarce and that resources are to be consumed and we say as the church we need to be a people that live opposite to that and we think hospitality is at the root of that. And so we're going to explore what that looks like and how we do that. And so this is like the, the practice that is prayer adjacent because we think that hospitality is, that there's a prayerful way of doing this. And we've talked about this for some time now that we think of prayer so much in this like, I don't know if you guys think of it this way, but I still think of prayer. As hard as I push against this, it is like ingrained in me. I, like I have enough charismatic in my blood that like if you're really going to pray, like all these other prayers, like they're okay. But if you're really going to pray, like you need to be sweating by the end of it, right? Like, or you need to like literally be in a closet in the dark on your knees. Like 
I don't know if you grew up in these circles, but I grew up in circles where they took the prayer closet serious. Like, you had a prayer closet. You had a place. And they took being prostrate, prostrate before the Lord serious. Like, they took this idea. Like, and that, like that was what it meant to prayer. And you, you, you screamed and you yelled and, 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 like, it was fervent. And it was emotional and, 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 like, all of these things. And sometimes I still find myself being like, well, I know silence and all this other stuff's good, but like, if you really want to pray. But we think that the, like the, the attitude, the way you approach this, the way you move into these things, that it, it can be prayerful in a different kind of way. And we think that hospitality, that what happens at a dinner table, what happens over a beer down at the brewery, what happens over a cup of coffee at a coffee shop, that the conversation that can begin to take place that what can happen there is, is this prayerful thing that is, is transpiring. And we want to embrace that in this season. And so part of that is then thinking of 21 days of prayer a little differently. Approaching it with a little bit of a different attitude. It is so much of what we've done, if you've been around for our corporate events, they're very uh, somber uh, sometimes. It's, it's very quiet. We, you know, This is when you get the heavy pads music going and it's like, ethereal and kind of like atmospheric and it's like if we can just create enough, enough of this space that like the Holy Spirit will be forced to move, right? And, and so we sit in circles and we kind of pray this way and some of you probably have come at 6.30 in the morning to a mosaic prayer thing and you're like, I, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on here. Like is somebody going to do something? Are we just sitting here? And we still want to embrace those moments and we're still going to have moments like that but we want to begin to think of not just the practices in general, but even specifically prayer. This whimsical, this joyful, this fun way of approaching these things. That prayer doesn't have to be so serious and like tight-lipped and like tense and, and emotive. I think having kids has forced me to do this. I think I've been in these moments where I get angry because I have a prayer moment in mind. And a three-and-a-half-year-old is going to change the words to prayer songs that he knows. Inevitably, it's going to involve banana or something along those lines if you've met Judah. And I, I find myself starting to get angry. And I feel like it's been the Holy Spirit over the course of the last few years that has allowed me to see those children in that moment the way that God would see, the way I see them is the way that God sees us. This kind, this caring, like this just enjoying being in company and around one another, enjoying the silliness and the personality of who you are, that you get to bring your whole self into these moments and be like laid bare before the Lord, but not in a performative like judgment way, but in the way that a child is so willing to just be themselves in front of you. It's frustrating for us as adults, especially when you're the pastor of a church and your children don't understand the rules and the regulations and the formality of the way things up here are supposed to work. Speaking from experience, <laughs> they say things and they shout you out for wearing Georgia shirts uh, from the back in the middle of the sermon, you know, like these are the things. And, and, but there is a way in which they are free to just be themselves that we stamp out of our, like children. There's a freedom that they have to just pursue the desires of their heart. And yes, there are social regulations and kids should not just run free all the time. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that most often the way we begin to correct them is we just begin to kind of shame them, whether we do so on purpose or not. 
And some of that, some grief is good. Some, some, oh man, I can't act like this all the time, can I? That's good for us. Some of us maybe didn't get enough of that growing up. But there is a way in which they're free. And what we really want to embrace in this next 21 days and as we approach prayer is this ability to be free before the Lord. To not have to just sort of be, this is the way this has to look. And we think hospitality and opening homes, finding yourself in spaces where hospitality is free to kind of operate, that this is one of the primary ways to create these environments, to create these spaces where you are free to kind of be you. And so though we will have these corporate events, uh, these moments where we gather together, we're going to take a risk here and trust you guys and sort of say for the next 21 days, like we're going to uh, like put the ball in your court and begin to dream and to wonder and to ask. And we have ideas and ways that we can help you. And we're going to do this through small groups and, and different things like this, right? But like that this next 21 days that you would really find yourself opening your home and your heart, opening your life. Sometimes you don't maybe have a home that can be open. You can live in a dorm or an apartment with roommates or whatever it is that you're just like, it just doesn't work. It's okay. We're going to talk about that and how Jesus had no home, and yet he's like the most hospitable person you'll ever meet. Our passage this morning that we're going to read, I promise, point where you see someone that is not necessarily the one that should be showing the hospitality in the way that you think of it. And so we're inviting Find these spaces where you can be a part of the antidote to shame and to guilt and to uh, find spaces where you can invite those that you're around to step into being free to be themselves, but not in this like because the freest version of me is, you know, the version I should pursue and all of this idea, but so that there is this union with God, this ability to stand before the Lord and to connect and to grow and to change with him. And so we want to invite you into this. And so some of the ways we're going to do this corporately, I will now go through the slides, uh, and we're going to try to do some things differently. So Wednesday, we're going to have a prayer lunch up here. It's going to be short. We know a lot of you work, but um, this first week at least, if you RSVP by Tuesday, you can contact me, or uh, we're going to send some links out this afternoon, this evening. I meant to get them out earlier, but that didn't happen. Uh, but there's going to be ways that you can sign up, and, and we're going to have food. We're going to have lunch, and we're going to be up here. We're going to hang out. And, and we're going to eat together, and we're going to pray together in a way that's maybe a little different, more casual than you would think of, but that's going to be on purpose. And so that's going to be the Wednesdays for the next three weeks, but the first one is going to be this Wednesday. So join us. Come up here. Be a part of it if you can. Uh, we're still going to have online prayer, and how that's going to happen, we'll, again, make sure everybody's uh, caught up to speed on that, but it's going to be on Monday mornings. Uh, just shortly, we'll start you know, in the morning, and we'll, people can kind of sign off as they need to. This is just a way to connect, start your week, see some people, pray together. Uh, and then this is an idea that I had, uh, and I meant to tell Kyle about this. So Kyle, you're hearing about this the first time too right now. I had it this morning. But we're going to open up on MLK Day and do something different and invite some folks up here and uh, have some time of family prayer together where it's going to be real informal and nothing's going to go the way we want it to and we're going to embrace it and we're going to love it. There'll be coffee and some pastries and stuff to eat. We'll open up before you can see kind of regular open prayer. We'll be online and in the space together on that Monday and then afterwards, if you've got your families, come on up and, and join us and, and we're going to do some guided prayer of kind of what this looks like to pray with your family together to learn how as a family you, could, you can embrace this and it's not like anything crazy, okay? 
Like, it's just going to be prayer, and it's going to be kids, and, and they're not going to know what to do, and it's going to be loud, and, and nothing's going to go in the order it's supposed to go in, and that's fine. We're going to embrace these things. Uh, the men and the women uh, both have things going on. There's a men's group that meets at my house at 515 on Thursday mornings. Um, and so during 21 days of prayer, we would encourage you, if you can just commit to three weeks of meeting in West Homewood, like come on down. Uh, when it's really cold, we start a fire and bundle up, and I bring blankets out, and we meet outside. It started during uh, COVID, and we've just kept it going. So if you're interested in that, contact me. The last Monday, which would be the 23rd, um, the women are going to have an evening event uh, centered around some of these ideas and, and looking at what it looks like to foster this. And so we're, we're trying to create different ways to connect, but we also want you guys to do it. And as we do this, we've been thinking about as uh, 21 days of prayer, not just being this way we start the new year, but seeing how it's connected to the liturgical calendar and the season we find ourselves, which is Epiphany. The season after Christmas, any season. And if you, uh, you don't know the word Epiphany, it's pretty self-explanatory if you've heard it in a non-religious like, setting. It's, an, it's a manifestation. It's a revealing. It's, a, it's an understanding, right? We've heard it this the other day at a realization in a, in a religious liturgical context it's the season where we mark that christ has been revealed that he's come that he's revealing himself and so you think of things like the three wise men i know all of you properly kept them away from your manger setting until the other day just like uh, we did um, and so that's like that's the way you do it uh, and the, you think of things like the baptism of the lord when the spirit comes transfiguration these moments Another big theological word for this is theophanies that you see throughout scripture, these moments where someone unwillingly or unknowingly is engaged in doing something, and then in that moment they realize, oh, this is the Lord. This is different. And so you see how that approach, this epiphany season, connects to something like hospitality. These regular acts of faithfully just kind of doing what you're called to do, doing something, and doing it in such a way that there are these moments that begin to happen, and you go, oh, this is different. Surely the Spirit of the Lord was in this place. Oh, you're not just anybody. You're the Lord. Oh, this is the Spirit. Something different is happening here. And you've been a part of these dinners and conversations, I'm sure of it. Where you're talking, you're doing something, and you leave going, that was different. And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to be the one that hosts that. You can be a part of it. Hospitality is also accepting invitations. It's not just hosting and entertaining. But it's a way in which you open up your life to create space for others to enter into it. And that can happen over there right now, this morning. It can happen downstairs. It can happen at lunch at a, at a third space. But it's a way of allowing others. And it's a way of creating space for those of you that have really big personalities. Me and Mia talk about this a lot. Like, what does it look like when you're aware of the fact that you dominate conversations and you can, like, sort of take over a room, that you create space in such a way in these, like, big group settings that it makes it free for others to step into that space? How do you create space that allow others to come to the surface if that's who you are? So, like, it's not just dinner parties, Okay. It's using your life in such a way that others feel free to speak, to move. And this is why it's connected to so many other issues. And so you see how then in these moments, what you're doing is you're allowing others to have those theophany and epiphany moments with the Lord. 
when you do this well, when you come into it prayerfully, there's an attitude or, or a demeanor that's taking place that people come and they enter into it and they leave going like, surely the Spirit of the Lord was in that place. Surely I encountered something there that was more than. Because even though we took the Christmas decorations down and we've moved on, Christ is still the light of the world. And just as we did on Christmas Eve service, we still carry that light with us into a dark world and we create a way in which people can see and experience that light. The heat of it, the blindingness of it. And so we want to invite you into doing that as we overlap with Epiphany, as we think about these different moments and ways of doing prayer. So I'm going to read just a few short verses from Genesis 18 that I think demonstrates this well. And this is kind of more of a practical example of what this looks like. I'll say a few things and we're going to go to communion. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mareh. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood under a tree. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a few quick observations that you uh, have to decide that uh, uh, people go both ways on uh, very quickly is you have to decide whether or not you think that Abraham knew that this was the Lord uh, that he saw and that that was his hurriedness or if he was uh, just being hospitable and then the Lord reveals himself. You have to try to figure out, is this the Lord in three ways or is this the Lord in two angels that you later see in Genesis 19 a few verses later? I'm not going to answer these questions for you, but we can talk about them afterwards. But they, they have a connection to this. And there's ways that you can interpret it. And there are ways that you can see this. But the thing that you see, and I think that the thing that the author of Genesis wants you to make sure that you recognize, is the hospitality of Abraham. Now, if you go back, ancient Near East, desert dwellers, uh, Bedouins, all this kind of stuff, there were some ways in which we can kind of tell historically that there were some rules that sort of were involved in the way that this transpired. There's uh, stories uh, in history not related to the Jewish people of where you see this opportunity where people would actually sort of only travel at night so that they would be avoided in engaging in war because there was like an expect a cultural expectation that you would host people in the desert. And so the, there were rules and the sort of this is the way it had to go. And once you were in, like they couldn't attack you. And so people would kind of use this to their strategic advantage to pass safely through these moments. And so we see Abraham living some of this out, but we also see something different happening here that goes beyond just what are the cultural norms. We see his uh, urgency and his honor to acknowledging and naming them as superior to him. Whether he knows up front that, that is, this is the Lord in this moment, and this is one of where those big theological words of theophany, uh, this is one of them. This person, this, this uh, human being that Abraham is encountering and he's going, oh, wait, this is like potentially Yahweh, like in this. Sometimes they call him Christophanes, which are of looking forward to this as kind of Jesus, 
manifesting himself in the Old Testament. These are all fun words, fun ideas. Uh, we don't all know exactly what, how uh, that would work other than that they're outside of space and time, like, uh, you know, interstellar, like looking through, yelling, Murph, come back. So there's these moments that you uh, have, that you see this. And so what we know is that Abraham does the thing that he's supposed to do. He, he is hospitable to these men that he finds, and he invites them in. But the author of Genesis, I don't think, included this passage in eight verses simply to like kind of elevate the role of hospitality, though I think that is important. And I think that the author wants you to know hospitality is important because it's a theme that shows up again and again in Genesis and then is going to be drilled home in Leviticus once the law is passed to the people of God. But what it sets up, and what I didn't read that I will briefly touch on, is it sets up the promise that Sarah, who is well beyond the age of bearing children, is still going to have a child. There's a covenant here that is connected to this. And that this hospitality and this moment of hospitality has to lead to something else is the whole point. In the same way we're talking about the practices and the disciplines and these things that we step into, they are never intended to be just the thing themselves, though those are good. Abraham did the right thing here. He did the faithful thing. And he should be celebrated for that. And later in our series, we're going to talk about how the, the author of Hebrews will acknowledge that you too should do this just as Abraham did in this passage because you can entertain angels sometimes. You never know who you're going to encounter, so be kind to all you follow. Jesus, same thing. He'll say, you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. He'll say, Lord, when did we do this? You know, like we had no idea. And he's like, well, when you did what you were supposed to, something was happening you are loosening, you are binding, you are doing things that are meant to be done because that's who I want you to be. And so Abraham does this thing. But I like the flip of it and why it's connected to this is though Abraham is hospitable, he does the right thing, he opens up his home, he shares this meal and Sarah. The promise is given to Abraham and Sarah first and it's predicated on the promise going back a few chapters that is promised that Abraham will be the father of many nations. This thing that he knew he was supposed to do, that he was faithfully living out, but was far from coming to fruition. He had no children. They were past the age. The promise had obviously been failed, but he was choosing to continue to live in such a way that he believed the promise to be true. And when he did the thing he was supposed to, the Lord meets him there and says, I will still deliver on the promise. I will still be good to do the thing I promised you I would do. And this gets woven into the fabric of the people of God. Because it's woven into the fabric of creation. It's woven into like who God is. God is hospitable first to us before we can be hospitable to anyone else. To exist, to be human, is to experience the hospitality of the creator. And this goes back to the garden. Abraham can so naturally be a follower of Yahweh because he understands who God is. The promises that God has given. In the garden, what you see immediately is that God creates not out of a need or necessity or to prove himself or any kind of performative righteousness. God, in the mysterious mystery of the Godhead, three in one, creates out of an abundance and a desire to share and to invite a creation and a people into the love that he is experiencing in himself. 
We confess this regularly. It's a mystery. We don't understand it all, but we know it to be true. And Abraham knows it to be true. And in the garden, there was an abundance. There was more than enough. And God gave it to them, space for them to experience him and his love. And when they failed, he creates again. He creates space. He comes and finds them. And he says, I will create space for you. I will cover you up. I will make atonement for your sins. And he invites them back into this relationship. He's always pursuing this, always desiring this, always creating for it. And what he is saying over and over again to his people is that you are to experience this abundance. Experience who I am. And when you are a desert dweller and you have no business welcoming strangers into your home beyond what you need to do and you, you really don't need to be sharing meals with them. Do you, you ever stop and think about what it would have been like to be in the desert? We talked about Exodus. We talked about this in the series. It makes no sense to Sabbath in the desert. It makes no sense not to collect extra food when the food is on the ground. Like, why would you not get more? You're about to die. Why would you not take more when it's there for the taking? Why would you not get when the getting is good? Because God is telling his creation that you can trust in him in a different kind of way. Why would you live in this kind of way when the promise seems to be failed? Because you believe that God is bigger than your finite understanding and your limited resources that you see and experience. You believe that the abundant life and that the eternal life, the infinite life of God is available for the taking. And that you then freely of yourself and that you don't have to prove and you don't have to posture in a certain kind of way, that you don't have to tick all the right boxes and say all just the right things, but that you really open your life and yourself up to those around you in order that you can live into the promise that God has given you, whether you see it to be true or not. And this is what Abraham does. And God is good in that moment to give him another promise to say, I see you, Abraham. I know this is true. I know that you are doing the things that I've asked you to do, and I'm still with you. I'm still here. Life is still possible in the way that you think it is. Continue to do this. And this is a moment of a hospitality, but not just a moment of hospitality. This begins to unpack and open up the importance of sharing a meal together and the representation that that has out throughout all of Scripture the sharing, a meal, the sitting, this being human with one another. You ever think about that as well? Like that everybody has to eat? Like everybody has to eat food. Everybody has to be nourished. No matter how wealthy, privileged, you know, how you get that food is very different. But you got to eat. It's a human moment. It's a vulnerable moment. If you live in a land of war, in a land of like uh, battle, it's a, a moment where you're exposed it's a moment where you, you can be taken advantage of. It's a moment where you have to choose how you're going to spend your resources. And Abraham in this moment says, I will do this with these people. I will share in this meal with them. I will provide for them what is the best of what I have. Not just my extra, but my best. And he does so because he knows that that is what Yahweh does for him. Yahweh provides the best, not just the excess, not just the, the scraps and the trimmings. But he gives to his people the very thing that is there for them. And Abraham does this. 
And this gets baked into what the people of God are supposed to do. In Leviticus, there's the peace offering. You're supposed to bring your best. And these offerings, in this moment of sacrifice, it seems weird to us. But it's actually kind of interesting because when they bring all this, it's not just all wasted. Some of it's wasted. Some of it's burnt up. But the extra, the fat, the meat, the bread, the oil, the, the flour, all these things that are being brought in a peace offering specifically, that then there is a meal shared amongst the people of God that says we are in good standing with God. And we are in communion with him. We are in relationship with him. The sacrifices are hospitality. And they're called to do it and to live it and to participate in it. This continues through Jesus. The easiest passage we could have talked about with hospitality is the road to Emmaus. Jesus walking along with these men and they're like, have no idea who Jesus is. In fact, they, they say, like, who are you? Like, do you not have any idea? Like, gosh, dude, you should really get on Twitter. Like, it's everywhere. It's trending. How do you live under this rock? And then they sit down, and when he, he breaks the bread that they have, their bread, their food, their house, when it's broken, they see that he is Jesus. He is the Messiah. It's him. Even when you're the one trying to practice the hospitality, God does this thing first where he meets you. And the people you're hosting do something to you. It's not just about you being this great, like, oh, I can do all this for all these people. Although that's what I like it to be, because I really like when people think that I do lots of great things, right? My nines and twos in the room, like, you can relate. You really want to, like, you want to help people, and you want people to need you. And even when you're doing that, what God is good to do is he's going to meet you there as well. He's going to be near to you. He's going to reveal himself to you. So this creating space is for you and for others. It's this moment where we get to commune with and we get to acknowledge that, that as we eat, as we share in this, that we're in good standing, good relation, and God's life is being revealed and we're being invited into it. Just as Jesus did. I, I think of Jesus in, in the feeding of the 5,000. We just read this story in our little kid's Bible uh, the other day. And it has this great line that there was more than enough. And the disciples, they gathered together 12 baskets. And there was an abundance out of what God had found. This is the life of the kingdom. This is the economy of the gospel. We do not live in a scarcity mindset. We should not live thinking that we have to get what is ours. We should not live thinking that we need to grasp and hold on to, but we live freely, open, with all that we have. Within context and reason, yes. You should not just be, you know, opening up your front door and saying, uh, anybody come in, and unless you feel like the Lord's called you that, let's process that together, right? There's a way in which you do this uh, with good intentions and balance, Right? But we do it in such a way that your life, and I'll be honest, I think we're really bad at it. We're good at entertaining, if you feel called to that. We're good at giving our, our uh, marked amount that we agree to give, and then we say, well, now I did my giving. I'm, I'm done. We're good at saying, well, I'll, I planned for that. We're good at saying, well, that, that, I bought that so that when someone came over, I could give it to them. We're bad at opening it up the refrigerator and saying, that, yeah, that, I, I know I was saving that for myself, but because you're here, I'm going to offer it to you. We're bad at opening up our life and saying, just come on in. The house is a mess. 
I know you're going to judge me, but come anyways. And I think that the Lord is desperately asking us to participate in life in this kind of way because he sees that there is an abundance. This is hospitality. This is what we're being invited into. And as we come to the table and the band comes to play, there's a song as we always do. But think about it in this way. Moment, what we do each Sunday, the groups that uh, begin to practice this in the New Testament. This is nothing new to, to many of you that have been a part of the church for years. Like this, this moment, this, this communion, this love feast, it was a part of a bigger, hospitable moment where people of different social status and social spheres were invited into a room and it didn't always go right and they got in trouble for it and, you know, people were fighting over the seats of honor and all of this kind of stuff. But this communion moment was a reminder that this is the type of life that the people of God are supposed to live. That we are supposed to break bread with one another and open our lives and pour ourselves out and give ourselves in such a way that we can offer something to the people around us the way that Jesus does it for us. And we come to this moment to receive from God the thing that reminds us again and again, and we hold on to those elements, and we remind ourselves again and again that God is offering a life of abundance, an infinite and eternal life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That his body broken and his blood poured out offers for us something more than we could want or imagine, more than we could dream or hope for. And he wants to give us something that allows us to experience the fullness of his And in turn, we're called to carry that with us and to offer that to other people so that they might come and know and taste and see that the Lord is good. And however you can do that, do it. Ask the Holy Spirit, how in this way can I open up my life in the weeks to come, the seasons to come, and be met by you? To experience the Lord and his kindness and his goodness. And so as you come and as you eat, come and experience the hospitality of a gracious and hospitable God that feeds you, that clothes you. Come and allow yourself to experience the freedom of being his children, the joy to stand before him and all of what you might call shame and all that you might want to hide, that you can open yourself before God. And then he longs to see you and to be near to you. Come and try to experience this unity, this revelation of who God is and understand who he is as king, Messiah, savior, initiator of a covenant that allows you to be this, to be this people, to live in this kind of way and celebrate and eat this meal, the gift of God for the people of God to live and to remind and to seal who it is that you are. And let that bring freedom and joy in the spirit and the life of God. So come, take a piece of the bread and the cup, go back to your seats, hold on to that, and I'll come up and lead us in the reception of those elements. Amen.